Well, good evening. I wore the glasses up here. I can't read with glasses on. But I decided to wear the glasses so I could see the clock so that I could spare you. Because we happen to be talking about a subject matter for me tonight that is one of my favorite subject matters there is. It's one of my favorite things to do in all of life, and that is to talk to the Father and to pray. But uh, so before I get started, let me open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for the truth of your word. I pray that you will, uh, through the Holy Spirit, that you'll use me tonight to be able to convey the truth of what was said in this passage and what the author's intent was, which was you, and that you'll use it even now as, uh, as I prepare to speak to the audience. Use it in Christ's precious name, I pray. Amen. Okay, now I'll take these off so that I can continue on. Several years ago, because of all of the tornadoes in the area, a developer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, offered an optional tornado room in their homes that he was selling. Nine of the first ten individuals that bought a home from him opted to pay the extra $2,500 to have the tornado-proof room, if you will, or the storm-proof area installed. The tenth couple, however, decided that they didn't want it. They happened to be in their, in their mid-70s, and they opted instead for a nice hot tub or a spa. You might say their priorities were a little bit different. In their mid-70s, they weren't too worried about surviving the tornado. They were more worried about being comfortable. As I read that illustration, as I prepared for this sermon, I thought about it. I thought, Lord... It, it sent me to pray because I thought, Lord, has Valley after 41 years, are we in danger of wanting to be comfortable? Do we no longer want to pay the price to get outside these walls and be able to tell people about Christ and to tell them the message that we have? Or are we just so comfortable that we're going to buy the eight-seat, 36-jet, neck-massaging hot tub and sit down and hope somebody else reaches the lost. Well, I, as I prayed, I said, Lord, I hope we're not comfortable, and I don't believe we are. I really don't. I'm praying we never get that comfortable. But that gets me into the passage. And uh, before I start to read that passage, I thought I would just give you just a little bit of background about what's going on in 1 Timothy. We will be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you want to go there, verses 1 through 7. And I'll tell you that what's going on in this passage is that Paul is writing to Timothy, who happens to be a protege of his, if you will, or an apprentice preacher that's been following him around and learning how to become a preacher, how to become a pastor. And so at the time of the letter, Paul's warning him there's a lot of false teachers that are coming in and that will come in. And so Paul's kind of warned him about that ahead of time. And then he gets to the crux of what I came to talk to you about. And that is this. Let's start with verse 1. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all those who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men. That man is Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. 
And for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Some interesting things as we go through this, but one of the things I thought was, how would you like to know for sure, absolutely without a doubt, that you can do what is good to God and what pleases him? What pleases him and what he counts as good? Let's go. When and how we are to pray will be my first point. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you my points, but I'm going to. My first point is when and how. In the first verse, he says, the very first of all, first of all. Now, first, the way I understand it, in Greek, in Hebrew, in all the languages of the world, first means first. All right? And it's first of all. So there will be other things. But this is what you do first. And he's urging them. He says, I urge that entreaties. So it's urgent. When someone urges you to do something, it's important. It needs to be done. So first of all, I urge you. And I urge you to pray. And then he describes the four categories of prayers that he's going to hit here. And that is that he says here, um, with entreaties, we would call that petitions or maybe uh, a request on behalf of um, maybe even your own self. And then he says prayers, which is all manner of prayer. And then intercession, which I like to think that as we intercede for one another, I think this is some of the best kind of praying that you can do. For one, you don't have to worry about it being self-serving. A lot of our prayers sometimes can be very self-serving. But when you're praying for somebody else, it sort of takes all the self-serving out of it. And I think God enjoys those types of prayers. Matter of fact, he enjoys them so much that Christ happens to be doing that very thing for us. Always interceding on our behalf. So I think that is a pretty good example of the fact that we should be interceding for one another, not to mention he told us to do so. But then there's the thanksgiving. As I read that, I said, you know what? How do you thank people? If I bought you a gift and you never told me thank you, how would I know that you were thankful? So I think thanksgiving is very important extremely important in your prayer life because God this morning woke you up you have something to be thankful for right there God woke you up so there's always and I think sometimes we don't thank him because we forget who he really is sometimes we don't understand who he really is you ought to be thankful that he allows you to come into his presence so those are the four categories of prayer now who do we pray for it's in the next verse or it's actually in that verse. Let's go there. Being that, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. All men. The word is anthropos, I believe it is. Phil could probably tell me for sure, but I'm, it's anthropos, I believe, is the Greek word, and it means everyone that is someone. There's, there's no getting out of that category. If you're here tonight, you're part of the everyone. All right? Then he gets more specific, and he says in verse 2, for kings 
and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity for kings and all who are in authority. Now then, that means that if you are a Republican, you are to pray for a Democratic president. If you are a Democrat, you are to pray for a Republican senator. Agree or disagree? It doesn't matter if you agree with their, poli their political. I don't even want to get into the political. Who put them where they're at? God did. And guess what? He gave me a job to do for them, and it wasn't to correct their politics. His job for me was to pray for them. So I'm praying for all men, every man, every kind of man, whether they meet my agenda, whether they don't, whether they're in the building tonight or whether they're not. Would to God that we would find a list. I read about when I was doing this sermon about a church that takes the, the phone book and they hand it out to their members and they pray for everybody in the phone book. What would God do spiritually for Hercules and for our surrounding area if we could do that? Not if we could, but if we would do that. Praying for people that you don't even know, but you got their name in front of you. Now, the results of those prayers for our rulers and for our government officials and those put in authority over us is that we might be able to live a peaceful and tranquil life in all godliness and holiness. And so, as I looked at that, I thought, you know, that means that if I'm praying for them, I'm fulfilling what God asked me to do. I'm being obedient. I'm doing that. I'm praying for them regardless of their political circumstance, regardless of whether they believe whether I believe what I believe or whether they don't. I'm praying for them, and the result of that is that I will be able to live in peace and tranquility, that we will be able to continue to stand in a pulpit like this and be able to speak the truth without being hindered in all godliness and holiness. And I believe what happens is because of that, we get to be viewed by the people around us as being godly and holy. What would it be like if you were fulfilling this, if we were fulfilling this, and I'm not saying we're not, some of you for sure are. I, I, this, this passage spoke to me in so many ways that I feel like I don't even know how to pray by the time I got done reading all of it. I feel like sometimes this, the things I'm doing, I'm amazed that God would even use me. So I hope you don't think I'm just talking to you only. It's me too. It's coming right back to Larry. And, I, and I'm the director of prayer ministries. Wow. Big title for a guy to fail even more. Big title for me to fail even more. Just more responsibility maybe. And uh, I can direct it, but I can't pray for everything and everybody. You have to do some praying too. So I got off track there for a second. Sorry about that. But um, I think what would happen if we were praying for our leadership the way we're supposed to, according to this passage, and we were praying for all men. I think you'd get along better with your neighbor, for one. I think instead of when the political talk comes up at work, instead of joining in and saying, yeah, those guys don't know what they're doing, you might be able to live in a little bit of godliness and holiness, and I think it would change your perspective. I would guarantee you, if you got somebody in your life, because it says pray for everyone, 
If you have someone in your life that just drives you completely off the edge, which for some of you, that's a very short distance. <laughs> All right? But if you've got someone like that in your life that just drives you crazy, and that can even include your spouse, because mine will do that tail and in. I probably drive her a lot more crazy than she does me, though. But if you've got someone like that in your life, I would tell you this. Start praying for them. You start praying for them. Your entire perspective of who they are and what they are and the driving you crazy will change. You cannot pray for someone for very long before you will, I, I think you start to fall in love with them. You start to say, God, they drive me nuts, so what are they doing to you? They must be driving you crazy. Let me pray for them, God. Let me pray for them. There's a pattern in their life that goes against you. Let me pray for them. Not talk about them. Let me pray for them. And then watch God. He will change you and them. So here we come. This is how I know. I know for sure that you can do something that's good and that's pleasing to him. Listen to verse 3. I love this verse. This is good. What is good? What is good? What's good? Prayer. What kind of prayer? The prayer we just talked about, praying for all mankind, praying for the government, praying for those in authority. You know what? Uh, that would include the elders in this church, that those in authority. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah we, I like that part. <laughs> Happen to be an elder. I kind of enjoy that one. But if you start to do that, he says, that is good. That's a good thing. And it's acceptable. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Wow. When I read that, I said, I've got a surefire way to tell these folks. And it was speaking to me first, like I said. This is a sure way to know that what I'm doing is pleasing to my Father. It's pleasing to the Savior. And it's good. There's a lot of things you do that you question, is this a good thing or a bad thing? As Pastor talked about this morning, should I see that PG-rated movie? Oh, is it good or bad? Well, I don't know if it's good or bad. I'll have to go see it and find out if it's good or bad. Well, I already paid my $10. I don't want to leave. They're saying some language that I would never allow you to speak in my home. Hmm? Now, I know I'm stepping on toes right there, even my own, because I've done that. But this is a way to know. I know this is something good. I know that this pleases him. That we pray for all mankind, for those in authority, and for those that are kings. Now, we don't have any, got any kings here in the United States. I understand that. But we have a president. And so it's the same uh, meaning there. So, let's see, how am I doing? Got to put these on here. I'm hanging in there. Last time I went like 50 minutes, and I was only supposed to do like 35. And so uh, I, I'm trying to make sure I comply. I don't want to take advantage of you saints. So God, this is pleasing to God, our Savior. And then we get into verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved? And to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's God's desire. It's what he wants. 
that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I think we got a little bit more direction on how to pray. Didn't we? Got a little more direction on how to pray. Now, I'm going to tell you, I know there's a lot of different kinds of prayers. And you got a lot of things that you can pray for. Pray for the sick and the different ones. But I've never really quite seen this this way until I studied it a little bit more. You can be praying for these. What we do is we, we look at the, the, the verses where it says to, to pray for your kings and your authorities. And we get to praying that they'll do the right things politically. Amen? That's what we do. Oh, God, let them stop doing abortion. And I don't want abortion. I hate it. Okay? God, let them stop taxing me so much. And I don't want to pay very many more taxes because I hate that part too. Okay. But we get into that, and that's not what God said for us to pray about. Is it? No, because here in verse 4, it said, I desire that all men be saved and come to the knowledge hmm, of the truth. Now, all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what? You're here and you're saved. You know, I can still pray for you to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, it covers everybody, doesn't it? It's a wonderful section of Scripture. It really is. And I'm enjoying the fact that I get to speak it to you tonight. I really am. So, he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he carries it a little further. And it's, I, I put down, what are we praying for? And, and what do the people need? They need to be saved or they need to have knowledge, more knowledge of the truth. So that covers all the categories, like I said. But then it goes, verse 5, for there is one God, one God, and it's not Buddha, and it's not Muhammad, and it's not Eastern religion, because now he's going to describe who that might be. And there is one mediator also between God and men, and that man is Christ Jesus. So let me just back up. There's one God and one mediator. So the term mediator means there needed to be somebody. Because I had a problem. My king and my authority has got a problem. All mankind have got a problem. And that is they cannot get to God. They can't. So now Paul says, let me describe what it is they needed. They needed a mediator. And that was Christ Jesus. And that mediator, I'm telling you what, I do not want to go to court without having some kind of mediator with me. And I don't care if that's small claims court or whatever that is. I need somebody that knows a little bit more about the judge than I do. A little bit more about what it is the judge is looking for than what I do. And God just happened to provide his son to take care of that for you. He is the mediator. The one and only mediator who gave himself as a ransom for all. Gave himself a ransom for all. That would probably mean, not probably, that would mean that you needed to be ransomed. The kings, the authorities, all men need to be ransomed. They've been held hostage by sin. Sin holds them hostage. And I, I like to look at this like this. They're in chains. We sing songs about here, around here about uh, 
Paul and Silas, they were in chains. Have you ever been a prisoner in your heart with chains on them? Yes, every one of you have been. Every one of you have been. Because you were once a captive to sin. And I like looking at the chains being on you as chaining you down and you can't get freed up. But guess what? That's where God saves some people. And this is the other ones we're praying for. We're praying for those that are in chains and we're praying for those that are out of the chains now. We're pray I'm, I'm praying for you guys. You're the believers in Christ. I'm praying for you. You know what I like to call you in this message? I like to call you the bolt cutters. Because when you got somebody that's in chains that needs to get loosened up, that needs to get freed up from them chains, God uses us. All right? I, I told pastor, I said, now I am not going to abandon preaching during the process of telling you that you must pray first. It is an important thing that we pray. It is just as important that we preach, that we proclaim, that we tell people this message. How will they know if you don't speak it? So they're equally important. So I'm thinking, we the bolt cutters, the bolt cutter that we have is to tell them about the mediator and that somebody has paid a price to redeem them. And it's a price. They can't get freed up from these chains. There is no Houdinis. Matter of fact, there's not even a key to that lock that they can get a hold of except for Christ. Christ is the key, but Christ, I think, is the bolt cutter. I like to say we got two categories. We got those that are in chains. We got those that are out of the chains that are running around with bolt cutters. Now, you've got the bolt cutters to cut them loose. I guess the question would be, are you using them? Yeah, I know I'm guilty of that one. I don't, I don't use them as often as I should. But I would say that you need to be praying. Let me challenge you on this. Here's a little challenge for you. This isn't even in my notes, so pastor's got my notes. He's probably going to tell me I went off my notes, which I did. Okay. But it's a very interesting thing that when you, when you look at the whole process of being captive like this, that you're in the chains, that you can't get loose, and you've you got to have somebody to tell you. Okay? And so that being the case, it's us that needs to do that. It's not Sean Giese. It, it's not his job to tell the whole world about their sin issues and about Christ. It's all of our jobs individually. All right? So that wasn't in the notes. I just thought I'd share that with you. Um, so who, who is supposed to pray in this manner? All of us. But in this passage, it's in verse 7. And for this, I was appointed a preacher. And ain't talking about me. This is Paul. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And in another one of the translations, he said he was a herald for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what a herald was like in those days? They, they came to tell something that the king had sent out. They sent out a message. The king said, I'm, there's an edict that I want everybody to know about. And you are the herald. You go tell them. Well, they didn't come in and go, well, the king's got something to say. The king has something to say. That's probably more like how they would talk, and maybe even a lot louder than that. And they didn't have this, but you probably hear them better than, it'd be like me singing with nothing going on when I really get to belting it. So that's how they would do it, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. And what we do is we're very timid about it at times. And so 
I wanted you to just know that you've all been appointed as heralds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of you has that ability. Okay, now that is interesting, but I challenge you to do this. Start praying for your neighbors next door. Those that you are, those that just border your property. Not the one down the street even. Just the ones that border your property. Start to pray for them. And ask God to save them. Ask God to give you an opportunity to tell them about the gospel. Tell them about the mediator, the one who paid the ransom for them. You start doing that. Loved ones that you have, different ones, I promise you, the opportunity will jump out at you to share it. It'll jump at you. The, um, the slight cracks in the door of opportunity will become gaping holes to you if you pray about it first. See, what we have a tendency to do, what I've had a tendency to do, is go, oh God, you need to save these people and leave it at that. I'll pray that one time and then I'm looking for the opportunity and I stop praying about it. And then the opportunity never seems to come. But I'll tell you what, every time that I have prayed, and I, I would guarantee, I would say if I, if I was able to get to every one of you and ask you this question, almost every time I've prayed, God, would you let me witness to somebody? Let me tell somebody about this marvelous gift of Jesus Christ. Give me the opportunity. Just let me do that. I mean, within a day or two. It may not have been the person I was even praying for, but within a day or two. That door just opens up that you can share the gospel with somebody. So, I would go to this. I want to say this before I get completely closed up in this message. Um, I didn't have it in my notes, but Pastor asked me to make this statement, and then I totally forgot. We're doing this as a part of a series on the symptoms of a healthy church and so this would be a definite one of those symptoms a healthy church is a church that's praying it's a it's a church that's praying for the lost uh, sometimes I've heard pastors say over the years pastor Howard he has said are you praying for anyone who doesn't have your last name my goodness if that's not convicting and that's really hard for me because you know how many Howards are around here but it's true. Are you praying for anybody who doesn't have your last name? It's an important question. But this is definitely, definitely, and believe me, I know we have a church that prays. I do. I know that you people pray. But I was so challenged as I read this for my own self. And I was challenged, and I was also, I don't know how else to say it, but to say I was almost embarrassed that I haven't been a a more literate prayer in how a praying person in how God intended me to be. This was so uh, eye-opening for myself even that I haven't been praying in, in a proper way for all of mankind. Because I'm one of those ones that was praying they'd lower my taxes or that they'd stop doing abortions or that they would stop the programs that I don't agree with. Okay? So I'll just tell you that straight from the beginning. Actually, from the end, I'm almost done now. 
Robert Bella is the Elliott Professor of Sociology Emeritus at the University of California in Berkeley. Throughout his academic career, he has been very interested in the influence of religion on society. In an interview in Psychology Today several years ago, he said, we should not underestimate the significance of a small group of people who have a new vision of a just and gentle world. The quality of a culture may be changed when 2% of its people have a new vision. Hmm, interesting. I dare say we have in membership over 2% of what our surrounding area is. What would happen? What could happen if we started praying for those outside of our areas, those that are for all mankind? What if you prayed for everybody that you could name the name of, saved and unsaved? How would that change the spiritual atmosphere of our community? I, I guarantee you it would change the spiritual atmosphere of our community. May not happen instantly, but God has always done things by answering prayer. That's just how he works. Paul and Silas, stuck in prison. What'd they do? Prayed. They prayed. And what happened? Chains fell off. Matter of fact, they didn't even run out of the prison, did they? They stayed and witnessed to, the, to the, one of the guards, and he went home, and they all got saved. Amazing answered the prayer to free them, and then they didn't even run. That opened up an opportunity, an opportunity for them to share Christ with the, with the uh, centurion. And then he takes that home and all the family gets saved. Many, 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 uh, too many for me to mention in the very short period of time that I have left, ways that Christ and God have answered prayer. So, I think the question now that I would ask you, I think you all probably knew that you need to pray before you ever came here tonight. Would that be true? I haven't taught you anything new about you need to be praying. I think that prayer is a subject matter that we stay guilty about and beat up about a lot of times. And God never intended for this wonderful gift of prayer to be something that you feel guilty about. I think of... Um, I think of my own communication with my wife. If I didn't talk to her for two or three days, I, I still would want to talk to her on the fourth day. And I wouldn't feel guilty about the fact I hadn't been talking to her. If she was somewhere else and I was somewhere else, hey, I'm going to still talk to her because it's important to me to talk to my, to my wife. Just as important that I talk to him. But what happens is we get, to, we get away from it a little bit and then we start to feel guilty about it and then we're afraid to go back almost. And God's going, I'm just waiting for you right here. I'm just waiting for you right here. Do you want to please me? Do you want to do what's good in my sight? Would you just come and talk to me? That's what he does. So I guess the challenge I would have for you tonight, and there's a little play on words here, would you like to be a winner? Everybody likes to win, don't they? Everybody likes to win. So we love the fact that the 49ers beat Green Bay yesterday. <laughs> Except for Matt Nicosia. But we're going to discount that. We're going to forgive him about it and go on. Well, just pray for him about that, right? He needs to come to the knowledge of the truth. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm getting sidetracked and I'll lose everything. We all like to win. 
what would be more important than winning some souls for Christ? And now I'm going to tell you how to do that. I'm going to tell you when you can win them and how you can influence that is when you start praying for them, when you start asking God to save your loved ones. Now, I'm not messing with his elective will. He has an elective will that I'm not messing with. He's a sovereign God. But I also believe that he does things when we pray. He says he'll do things. He said you have not because you ask not. You have not. You don't have those loved ones in the family of God because you haven't been asking. So the question is, when will you start to win? And the only way I can tell you to do that is tonight, right now. Make an appointment with him. Make an appointment with him to start praying for all mankind, for the kings and for the authorities. Make the appointment. You make that appointment. When will you make an appointment to talk to the omniscient, all-powerful God for the salvation of your loved ones? When will you make time to adore the Savior? When? That's the... I don't know if that's a challenge. I think it is. Because we have a tendency to go, yeah, I need to pray. Oh, yeah, I need to pray. My challenge this year, and it's been a challenge for several years, it's been my New Year's resolution, is that one day I might be able to say I actually prayed more than I talked about it. So the challenge for you is when? When will you start? to make it a normal part of your everyday life to pray for the unsaved, for those who are saved. Pray for those that are in chains. Pray for those that are carrying the bolt cutters. Pray for me. If you got nobody to pray for, pray for me. Now, is that selfish? Yeah, but I could use your prayer. Pray for the leadership in this church. A lot of things to pray for. A lot of things to pray for. So when will you start doing that? And you know how I would do that? I would challenge you to do this. Take a little index card. And write down 10 things that you want to see God do. And then start asking him to do them. Amen?